0: Hi, welcome to Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. Well, we've got two uh, Bible readings today. Uh, The first is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on your doorposts, on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. And our second Bible reading... Comes from Ephesians chapter six, verses one to four. Children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring
1: them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Happy Father's Day to everyone. Today can be a joyous day for many of us who are fathers and who delight in our children and families. Today can be a hopeful day for those of us who are expecting a child or hope to be blessed with a child soon. And today can be a reflective and somber day for those of us who have lost fathers whom we love. Today can also be a painful day for those of us who have deep wounds left by our fathers and for those of us who yearn for children but have no child. All of these experiences and feelings point to the deep impact that fathers have on our lives. So today we are looking at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 to 4 and the Bible's vision of the relationship between children and parents and the role and responsibilities of Christian fathers then we will also look at the hope that the Bible offers to all of us on a day like today those for whom today is joyous hopeful reflective or painful so let's pray and begin looking at the passages for today Heavenly Father we thank you that in Jesus we are able to call you Father we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts and our ears today, that you would be glorified in your greatness, and that we would be exhorted to live wholly for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter six, verses one to three, begins with the obligations of children to their parents, both their father and their mother. And it is interesting to note that by Paul addressing children, He expects children to be coming to public worship to learn and worship God with the entire family. Children matter. Children are a part of the church, and children are a part of God's family. As Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I don't think we quite comprehend how radical this approach to children was, but the theologian and early church historian Lynn Koick points out that at the time that the letter of the Ephesians was written, uh, in the Roman Empire, approximately 35% of children died as infants or toddlers within the first few years of life, with many being exposed, and, and that means purposely left outside to die. Exposure was, in fact, such a major issue in the culture that early church leaders were extraordinarily active in two things, the purchase and freeing of slaves and the encouraging of believers to raise and therefore save exposed and abandoned children. Children matter. They matter to God and they matter to God's people. Now, as we see in verse 1, children are called to obey their parents because it is right. Then Paul reminds us of the fifth commandment, that children are to honor their father and mother, and reminds us of the promise connected to that commandment, that it may go well with you and that you may live a long life in the land. Now, I don't think this is a promise for material blessing or an easy life, but really something more like the good life. The good life comes from acting in accordance with God's plan and walking with Jesus. And that journey, even with physical suffering and lack, will be blessed. We also see in verse one, the words in the Lord, which both qualifies and sanctifies the duties and responsibilities of children to their parents. These words bring the child's obedience into the realm of Christian duty because of the child's own personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. It is important for those of us that are adults hearing these verses today to hear and realize that the commandment to honor our parents still applies to those of us with living parents, obviously within reason and acknowledging that our primary relationship is to our spouse and our own children. Now, let's look at verse 4, which is interestingly one of the only explicit commands to fathers in the New Testament. There's really only one other in Colossians, which largely echoes this verse. Uh, And obviously, there there are a ton of implicit commands and, and ways of fleshing out the idea and picture of fathers, but this is one of the few explicit commands. And so we're going to need to break down the verse a little to see what is going on. First, we see a shift from children being called to obey their parents and to honor their father and mother to Paul now addressing fathers specifically. Now, this does not mean that mothers are not also called to follow what is commanded of the fathers here, but it does mean that fathers have a unique and primary responsibility to heed what is written here, which is, as we will see shortly, means that Christian fathers have the primary and leading responsibility or obligation with respect to their children. And we'll come back to this point shortly. Second, the first exhortation to fathers is, don't stir up your children to anger. Or put another way, don't provoke or exasperate your children. In other words, fathers are to be self-controlled when dealing with their children and not just fly off in a rage. We do know that some fathers can easily misuse their authority by being harsh or cruel or impatient and unreasonable or humiliating. And Paul is saying, do not be like that, but rather be patient and self-controlled and mature yourself. Third, fathers are to bring their children up. And this phrase translated as bring them up is Um, and it, it does mean to rear them up to maturity, but also to cherish and nourish and care for. In fact, John Calvin translates this phrase as, let them be fondly cherished. In other words, Paul is calling on fathers to love and cherish their children as they rear them up to maturity. So Christian fathers are called to love and cherish their children and to tenderly bring them up to maturity in the Lord. Fourth, fathers are called to cherish their children and nurture them in the paideia of the Lord. Now, paideia is a word that is translated here as training, and it really has a fascinating meaning, and history. Large three-volume academic works are are written looking at the meaning of paideia in Greek culture before and during and after the time of Paul's writing Ephesians. The word itself means the training up, education, nurture, instruction, formation, discipline, and correction of children, All, all of those things. In the prevailing Greek culture The paideia was life-encompassing formative education in which a student is formed toward the ideal image of a Greek citizen, or in its Latin version, humanitas, of a Roman citizen. And Paul is picking up this word and using it to speak more towards the life-encompassing training and formative education of children toward an ideal image of a citizen of heaven, the formative education of children in the Lord. So fathers are called to be committed to this holistic formation and education of their children in the Lord. This aspect of the exhortation in Ephesians 6 verse 4 is More than just an intellectual or doctrinal education, though it does include that, like the Greeks used the idea of paideia uh, to convey the holistic forming of an ideal Greek citizen, so we as Christian fathers are to heed this call to the holistic forming of our children into mature Christian disciples and citizens of heaven. This sense here is is of a life of formative education, of practical training, and of spiritual discipline. John Calvin, uh, the church reformer in Geneva, Switzerland, sort of set up Geneva picking up on this idea as an immersive uh, kind of life-encompassing program of twice-weekly mandatory corporate worship daily sermons and lectures, family prayer four times a day, psalm singing, catechesis, moral accountability, and scriptural study. That was all sort of wrapped up in his idea of how to form disciples. J.I. Packer writes that a Christian's rule of life is a discipline by which we order our worship, work, and leisure as a pleasing sacrifice to God, and includes scripture, prayer, worship, witness, service, self-denial, and faithful stewardship of time, money, and possessions, and that a fruitful life of faith is fed by the regular reading of scripture, practice of personal prayer, and corporate worship of God, and the ancient threefold rule of the church, encouraging weekly Lord's Supper, the daily office, and private devotions to shape this way of life. Similarly, the early evangelicals in the middle of the 18th century presented a life of private and family prayer, devotions multiple times per day, scripture reading, hymn singing, service to the poor, and meeting in small groups of various sizes two or three times a week for accountability and encouragement as well as corporates' uh, worship on Sundays. All of these voices, and there are many, many more examples throughout Christian history, present a picture of holistic, life-encompassing formation that is based upon the Bible, personal prayer, and family prayer, singing, discipline, and work all pointing towards and as a way of glorifying God. So, as we look to how to form our children, we should also look at how we can model and teach a holistic Christian life. Importantly, we cannot do this unless we have done the hard work of thinking through how our work, our leisure, our days and habits, and all of our lives point towards Jesus and our relationship with Him. You cannot disciple someone in the Lord if you are not fully on the path of discipleship yourself. Fifth, fathers are called to cherish their children and nourish, nurture them in the nuthesia of the Lord. Now, nuthesia means to place on the mind or instruct or call attention to, admonish, and warn. So, fathers are called to instruct their children in the Lord and And what is the content of this instruction? If we look at Psalm 78, verses 2 to 7, we see at least three things that we should be teaching our children. First, the wisdom, stories, and mysteries of the past that our fathers passed down to us. Second, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, His might, and the wondrous works He has performed. And third, the law and commands of God. Let's listen to the psalm now and and pick out those three themes. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We will not hide them from our children, but will tell a future generation. The praiseworthy acts of the Lord, His might, and the wondrous works He has performed— he established a testimony in Jacob and set up a lull in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Similarly, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5-9 to 9 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Based upon these two passages, then, we can confidently say that our instructions and admonishments should include the story of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who, despite our sin and turning away from Him, has come after us in Jesus so that we may have a relationship with Him. The mighty, mighty and wondrous works that our God has performed in the history of Israel in the saving, work, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and in the early church. The commands and teachings of God and the way that he has called us to walk, which is to be distinct to the world and yet in the world, and calling others to come to Jesus. All of this should be done with our own hearts shaped and formed by these instructions our entire lives as we sit in our house, walk along the road, lie down or get up. And the distinctive character of our house and our community of faith should show these stories, these works of God and commands and teachings of God and the redeeming work of Jesus that truly are the way of life. Overall, we have an image of Christian fathers' as those who are responsible, self-controlled, lovingly gentle, and patient educators of their children, in both words and deeds about the God we have in Jesus, who loves us and wants a relationship with us, and who teaches their children how to live the Christian life. Now, there are many implications of this overall picture for us, and I want to consider just two of these a moment. And this may also point to, you know, for those of us who are fathers and who will be fathers or even parents one day and, and give us an idea of, of what we should be doing. The first implication is that Christian fathers have the primary responsibility to instruct, train, form, educate, discipline, and lovingly cherish their children so as to rear them up into mature Christians. This does not mean that mothers play no role in this respect. And we know, for example, in the Bible, Timothy's mother and grandmother taught him the faith. The idea is that parents would work together to achieve this formation of their child. However, this does mean that fathers should accept and not shirk their primary and leading responsibility to bring up their children in the paideia and nethusia of the Lord. While we can delegate some of our responsibility to church and school and wives, we ought never forget that we are the ones who are responsible. We are the ones who will be called to account for any lack. What this means for us today is that fathers need to be present and active in raising our children. We will seek help and training where we need it, and, and we ought to do that, to help us train and form our children, which certainly means working with your wife and partnering with your local church. And it may mean partnering with a school to ensure that our children are being taught and raised aright. However, we cannot abdicate our responsibility here. This does not mean that you leave the parenting and education of your children completely up to your wife or to the church or to a school. Take an active role here. The second implication follows from the first and it is, Christian fathers need to study and pray and reflect and consider how they are training and forming and instructing their children in the Lord. This means that fathers need to study and pray and reflect and consider what the environment of their homes are and what it should be and what are the actions to take to get it from where it is to where it ought to be. Fathers need to Study and pray and reflect and consider what tangible daily and weekly disciplines and actions you and your wife can take to actively instruct and form your children in the way of Jesus. Then speak with your wife about them and together put them into practice. Make it a priority. Do whatever you need to do to ensure that this happens because it is more important than work. Or hobbies or rest. What could this look like? Here are a few actual examples from different families I know. It may look like starting a new routine where Saturday mornings the dad gets up early to cook pancakes for the family and reads the Bible with his wife and children and prays for all of them intentionally and powerfully that they would flourish and grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus all the days of their lives. How nourished would your children be if you read several chapters of the Bible with them aloud each Saturday and patiently answered any questions they had or looked up the answer together? How beautiful would it be to pray over your children that they would grow like olive shoots in the way of Jesus? How loved and cherished would your wife feel for you to pray over her, that she would flourish and be like a fruitful vine in the Lord? It may look like reading two chapters of the Bible every night after dinner and discussing what you have read and even each member of the family reading a chapter or two around the table and discussing and wrestling with God's Word together. It may look like an after-dinner routine where you get instruments out or put on praise songs and spend 15 to 20 minutes singing praises to God as a family, and your kids grow up remembering the sound of their father loudly and joyfully singing to the Lord. It may look like a dive into the richness of our own Anglican tradition. And getting into the routine of the daily office with its four offices, including morning and evening prayer, each with its prayer, Bible reading, and songs of praise. And committing to do this as a family, at least after breakfast and or after dinner every day. It may look like taking one of your kids out each week to get a hot chocolate or go for a walk, just you and him and or her and asking your child how they are and how they are going with Jesus, checking on their heart, listening to their concerns or questions or struggles, and talking to them about what you are loving about Jesus this week and your hopes for them and praying for them, or any mixture of the above. But commit to it. Make it a regular habit. And work at it and actively form and shape your children in the way of Jesus. The only failure here is if you hear these words and do nothing. Do something. Now, I want to take a moment to say three brief things about the joy and sorrow, failings and grace of fatherhood. First, what the Bible presents in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, is an ideal for all Christian fathers, and by the power of the Spirit, it is our calling. But we do often and will often fall short of our calling. In our Lord Jesus, there is grace for our failings. Nonetheless, I need us to hear and feel the weight of the heavy call upon each one of us as Christian fathers. For some single mothers out there who are doing all that they can to love and disciple their children, please know that God loves you. He hears your cries and pleas, and that his grace abounds to strengthen you and to work in your children. It is worth an entirely separate sermon all on its own about the way that God throughout the Bible hears the cries and prayers of mothers. For the young women or children who are not married yet, if and when you look for a husband, look for the kind of faithful man who can do what Paul is calling fathers to do here. These are the things that matter. Don't settle for a boy who isn't going to be willing to step up. For the young men who may not be married yet, be men. Don't be boys. Step into this calling of responsibility. Find a godly woman to love and cherish and serve and who will encourage you and help you as you work together to raise children to be disciples of Jesus. I know that I could not be half the father that I am without a faithful woman in Sarah to love and cherish and who encourages me and loves me as we work together to raise children in the Lord and it is hard, but God in his wisdom gives us a strong help and Ezra, in our wives. So choose wisely and be the sort of man worthy of a godly woman and sister in Christ. Second, there is often great joy in fatherhood and for those of us blessed with good fathers. I love my dad. I don't get to see him very often these days, but I cannot think of a better father than him. His influence on me only seems to grow in time as more of my mannerisms and sense of humor and way of speaking bears his indelible imprint. And this is true for many of us. Fathers have a lasting impact on each one of us and we should express our gratitude to our fathers for what they have done for us. There is also great joy in being a father. Psalm 128 verses 1 to 4 says, um, happy is the man who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like young olive trees around your table. In this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. This is what a good and faithful father can do. This is what our aim should be as Christian fathers, to fear the Lord, to do all we can so that our wives flourish like fruitful vines, to do all we can so that our children flourish and grow like young olive trees. And there is great joy in seeing such flourishing and fruitfulness and growth. Third, there can be great sorrow in fatherhood and associated with fathers. Fathers have a lasting impact on us all, for good or for ill. For some of us who may have regrets as fathers, or we may have been deeply wounded by fathers who were cruel or irresponsible, in relation to those who have regrets, as long as your children or father are living, it is never too late to repent, to forgive, to do the hard work of the ministry of reconciliation that we as Christians are called to do. For those who are wounded or in grief, Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, that there is one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. There is an amazing privilege in Jesus, one that we take, grant, take for granted quite often, that in Jesus and because of Jesus, those who are in a relationship with him are able to call the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, Father. What's more, we are, in fact, his children, For in Christ we are adopted into his family and made sons, that is, men and women, boys and girls are made sons, legal heirs, and inheritors of the riches of our Heavenly Father. One of my favorite novels is Little Women by Louisa May Alcott, and in it there is a line that I want us to hear. The the mother in the story is writing to her daughters, the aforementioned little women, As she goes to see her husband, who is gravely wounded in the American Civil War. And she writes, Whatever happens, remember that you never can be fatherless. And so it is with all of us. Remember whether your father is living or not, good or not, near or not. You never can be fatherless. For we have a Father in heaven. We have a good Father who loves us, cares for us, and will never abandon us. And one day he will call us home to him. And where you fail, he has grace. And where you are weak, he has strength. And where you have sorrow, he has solace. And where you are wounded, he has the balm in Gilead to make you whole. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Jesus we are able to call you Father. We thank you that you are good, and we thank you for having given us the gift of our earthly fathers. We pray that those of us who are fathers or will be fathers will hear your call to responsibility and love and service. We pray for those who are in pain or sorrow now that you will give them comfort and that in you we all may be made whole. In Jesus' name, amen.